Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of I've Got Questions, a pre-modern podcast with myself, William Hurst. And today, man, we are going down the rabbit hole into the fiery, fiery, fiery pits. We, we've had some talk with Flint Espel about red. We've had some talk re uh, recently with uh, Dimitri about red at LobsterCon. But today, we have two amazing, amazing guests with us. We got Iron Lungs from MTGO. This is Chris DiBiase. You know, not the million dollar man himself, but he's working way toward that glory. And then we got perennial top niner at Misty Mountains. Oh, come on. <laughs> so, B BK told me to say that. BK told me to say that. Oh, he got me again. He got oh, you. He got BK. you. We got a, uh, the the prince, one of the princes of pre-modern, in my oh, opinion. Geez. I know even more <laughs> nicknames, but a king of red in the format, uh, Aaron Dix. Gentlemen, thank you for being with me. How are you today? I'm doing good. I'm really excited to be here. So uh, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. It's good to be here. Awesome. Well, guys, um, I'm a little under the weather today. We've had a busy morning. We're a little sleepy. So less of my voice, more their amazing voices. So Chris, let's start with you. Can you give me a brief, brief uh, description of time in magic and how we found pre-modern? And then sure. Aaron will pass it to you. Yeah, absolutely. So I was first introduced to magic uh, I want to say like 95, I would have been in like sixth grade, something like that. Uh, a couple of kids had like just some star decks on the, you know, the school playground for recess. Um, but I didn't really stick with it for more than, I don't know, like a year. Uh, just didn't kind of click at the time. None of us understood the rules. Um, and I'm pretty sure like I gave them all to a buddy for a bunch of like Marvel Universe 3 trading cards, right? Uh, a couple of Wolverine foils, something like that. Um, and I didn't get back into Magic until, uh, God, it would be like 2003. Um, Onslaught-ish. Uh, the two dudes who lived across my hall in the dorms were playing Magic, and I was like, oh, I'll you know, check this out. And I bought some really, I bought a really awful Onslaught block pre-con, uh, the Mistform deck. It was complete trash. Uh, <laughs> it, it, was, it, was, it was absolutely horrible. Um, but I started playing and I realized that there was like a club on campus that, that played magic regularly. And because I am sort of built to be spiky, uh, I took it over within three weeks and taught them about like, like I started, so, so I'm a, I'm an academic by trade. Uh, so it sort of fit that. I was like, I'm going to research this. It's like, oh, there's this thing called a mana curve, right? Uh, there are these things called formats. Like this was stuff that was just completely foreign to, to this was, you know, when Mark Rosewater says like, we, you know, the format is play what you have. That's what they were doing. Um, so I quickly turned it into a money pool, uh, and, and, you know, picked up the goblins onslaught starter, you know, you know pre-con and, and sort of tore through it. Uh, and I've just played on and off for a while. Um, I stopped a lot during grad school. Uh, I did a little bit of like the vintage scene in New England. I happened to have a student who was connected to it. So I was able to borrow a few decks. Um, but then sort of fell away from it. Just life stuff. Uh, I found pre-modern just from a random Flores article, uh, I had been mostly just playing Commander. I had still mainly what I do in terms of like IRL magic. I own literally no uh, pre-modern cards in paper, uh, or almost none in paper. I have no full decks, so you won't see me on the webcams. Uh, but I had been part of the Magic Online Society previously when I was like toying around with Pioneer, and they were running some leagues. Uh, and I hopped back on, so they were doing pre-modern events. And I'm like, well, this is a really, you know, I can fire my loan program and, and get back in. So my perspective is kind of interesting in that I don't have the same kind of nostalgia for the format 
Um, I never played those cards really in any meaningful way. Uh, it's almost like aspirational nostalgia because, like, I remember watching the extended Pro Tour uh, in my senior year of college, and it's like, wow, Life or you know, Reanimator or you know, uh, Cephalid Breakfast when that came out. Um, so being able to like check these decks out now is kind of cool. Um, but I like I'm not like a it has to be old frames guy. I'm not you know these were the cards I played growing up through Magic. It's just the community's been really great and the gameplay is really good, and that's what has sort of hooked me. Um, so it's really only been the past like five months that I found my way into the format. Um, but you know, Magic Online has really given me a chance to play a lot of it. Um, you know, multiple I, before I go to bed, I probably jam you know two three games. Uh, and so it's been a really cool way to kind of get back into into Magic that's not EDH. Awesome, awesome. Uh, that sounds pretty similar to many stories, Aaron. I, I assume some some similar course will be taken. How about yourself? Oh yeah, uh, quite a bit. That. Uh... Again, just like Chris, uh, right around 95, I got introduced to it at a comic book shop. Uh, I was I was also buying Wolverine cards, and uh, um, Marvel Masterpiece was my thing. Uh, so that was the... And I saw one of my friends had a like an inquest or something that had a picture of uh, Necropotence. And I immediately was like, that's the coolest art ever. What's that for? I need to collect that comic book. No, no, no. This is a card game. I'm like, you know how to play the card game. I need to know everything. Uh, fell super down the rabbit hole. Uh, and fell super down the rabbit hole really fast. Had a, uh, had a friend who I'm like, I'll, I'll give you 20 bucks and let me raid your commons box. Let me build a thing. And I ended up with an elf ball deck right off the bat. Uh, and then I, found out that there were major tournaments going on in San Francisco, which was an hour drive for me. I'm like, well, I'm doing that now. Uh, and then <clears throat> begged my parents to drive me down to the South Bay to get into the bigger tournaments uh, pretty much right off the bat. Uh, started doing JSS stuff in the South Bay uh, and fell in really quick. And just like Chris, I was absolutely the spike of my play group. Nobody knew anything. Everybody was super casual. I'm like, let's do a booster draft. Uh, let's do, uh, guys, I, I got to, I've been playing a bunch of standard. You guys got to try standard. What the hell is standard? Uh, uh, so I had to explain what formats were and like, yeah, yeah, we got to, we got to try this stuff. You guys got to help me practice for this next thing. And uh, I was surrounded by super, super creative people, great deck builders uh, that were not spiky at all. So I was always trying to play test against some of the, the weirdest off the wall, off meta things uh, and build something uh, that could beat meta decks and just having a lot of fun in the Northern California scene. Uh, found... I fell out of it. I, I bought the last booster box I bought was a booster box of Mirrodin and it just wasn't the thing. Uh, I just, I recognized that it was a different game. And a few years later, I found my way back into it, uh, traded my judges promo guy as cradles to buy back into standard. Uh, <clears throat> that was a terrible move. Uh, got some Elspeths and some other things and built a white weenie deck and, crushed jund and vampires for a bit uh 
then the Eldrazi came out and I was all the way out of it again, played limited for a few years, went to a local geek tournament here, uh, mm-hmm. met up with uh, the old school group that I'm still playing with. Uh, shout out to uh, Mill City Old School. Uh, and ever since, I mean, I got hooked on old school and through that I found pre-modern right at the start of the pandemic uh, and started playing monthlies in or started playing in the spring fling three years ago. Uh, top forward that and never looked back. <laughs> That's awesome. Played burn, of course. Yep. Burn, burn, <laughs> burn works. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So we are now here. We have found pre-modern and we, we yeah. among many people, um, are the ones who people laugh at and say you can only count to 20 and point spell at face and whatever. Sure. Uh, so we like red spells here. And now Sly, when I first came into pre-modern, and my understanding of it before was Sly was always the deck that kept everything in line. It was kind of your balance meter. Like, if you yeah. can't beat Sly, go back to the drawing board. Yeah. And- and that's how it felt when I first got into, um, you know, at Misty, I won uh, with Red the first time we were here, um, but it, it felt fine throughout the day. And then LobsterCon happened. Not this last LobsterCon, but the LobsterCon before. Rich Shea, um, even without winning the event, because the masterful Flint Espel won with a crazy deck, which happened to have another card, which was going to be a problem for us later. Um <laughs> The parfait lists showed up. Um, now I know my experience because at that time I just started playing webcam and I was playing against Rich Shea and I didn't know who he was until after LobsterCon and I kept running my red deck into his parfait list over and over again before LobsterCon. So I had some PTSD. Aaron, what was, and I'm not sure, Chris, if you had got in kind of any time before that, but what. What were the feelings once you truly got down to the nitty gritty of trying to figure out how to beat Parfait? What what was going through our minds? Because it was a I didn't know how to do it. So my initial thought, and Chris, stop. I'm going to ramble here for just a second. Stop me at any point if you want to jump in here. Uh, I remember Parfait coming on. I I was also in the mix at LobsterCon the same year that rich really made a splash with it mm-hmm. uh i you know he and i were both in the top eight that year uh and i remember thinking that it's a deck that i'm not going to have to match up against often mm-hmm. uh and how much how much do i want to invest in beating a deck that two people are going to play then i went to germany shortly after and I lost to Mark uh, in the Swiss. He was, uh, you know, he was he was part of the reason that I did not make top eight in Germany. I, I and I came back from Germany and I said, you know what? I'm building the deck. I have to understand what hurts it. And the real answer is, we don't have a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're, you are fighting an uphill battle there. And as more people play it, it, it really hurts the red decks ability to stay viable in a top eight. 
if you get matched up against it. But I think that there's, uh, I think that there's still a path uh, to, you know, I, I recently was uh, up against Tom Matelski in the finals and we were rock versus Sly, just, just like the good old days, right? That's mm-hmm. pre-modern circa three years ago. Uh, and we had managed to duck our problem matchups. Uh, you know, you could have a day where you are up against the mirror, uh, up against elves, up against uh, land still. Those are all super, super winnable matchups. Like mm-hmm. you're, you're highly advantaged in all of those. And if you make it to their you know, chances are there's a parfait deck in the top eight. And if they have to play against blue white and then you get blue white in the next round, you could still keep moving. So I think that, uh, I think red's still viable because you could potentially avoid parfait more than trying to beat it. I think that we've done everything we can, you know, Chris has done a lot. Flint has done a lot. Will, you've done a lot. I've certainly done my best to figure out what we could do uh, to, you know, to give us some points back in that matchup. Uh, but it's it's a tough road to go. And Chris, what are, what are kind of your thoughts, maybe? Because it sounds like you came in after Parfait kind of put itself into a into prominence. Yeah. So, what what's been your experience against Parfait? So it's kind of interesting that you say that. So so again, yeah, my big introduction, like again, shout out to, to Phil. I think he does so much to get new players onboarded. Like I would not be nearly as invested in this mm-hmm. format if it wasn't for you know I'll, I'll shout people later, but you know Phil Phil's a big part just because of the, the work he's put in, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so the first thing I did when I was getting to the forum was I was going through all these lists, and and I started with Angry Hermit because I'm like that was a deck I wanted to play when it was extended it was really expensive it was going to rotate so i didn't buy it but i'm like i'm going to try this now right, right. um but when i saw parfait i looked at the list i'm like how that i'm going to just i told my wife i'm going to do my best not to swear on this cast um because i do that a lot uh like how, how the hell is deck win like i, I don't understand i fundamentally do not understand this deck and then i played uh you know I, runs like you know lanny on moto or or you know paul master paul marcos like oh oh that's how it wins right um uh-huh. So it's kind of interesting. So, so you know, and you know, in paper, my my thought is, you know, oh, well, you're not going to run into it that much because the expense of the deck is significant, right? It's not it's not a cheap yeah. deck. Um, MTGO puts some sort of constraints on this because it's a chess clock, right? And mm-hmm. so there's this kind of interesting dynamic in that uh, you have to be a very good parfait player to play that deck online because the clock is your enemy. Yes. The flip side is that the people who are playing it are really good at the deck, right? It, 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 <laughs> it, 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 it's you know, it's you know, Lanny's great with the deck. Um, uh, you know, you know, you know, Paul is really, you know, is incredible with the deck. You know, so you hit him with a ham sandwich. But when, and I think I can't remember if it was Lanny. Someone you had introduced earlier said like when he shows up for the MOS events uh, for the playoffs, he's playing parfait, right? Because he's playing to win. When you know, he can do whatever he wants in the leagues. So he's going to be fine. Um, so what I've sort of found is. Uh, a lot of times I'm crossing my fingers to hope that one gets taken out of the top eight by something else. Um, mm-hmm. uh, because I felt like, how much do I have to put in, right? How much equity do I have to give up in my sideboard to beat this deck? Uh, and it feels like, kind of like you said, Aaron, if I'm only going to be bumping into this deck, you know, 
X amount of time, right? If it's possible I could dodge this deck entirely, how much equity do I want to give against other matchups when I'm sort of mapping out how I want to develop this list? Um, and I think certainly in the in the online leagues, what I saw was a, a real uptick in uh, you know, not was sort of the, the hot thing for a while. Um, because I think it's a more accessible deck. I mean both both financially is a more accessible mm-hmm. deck. Um, but also like a two card combo turn it sideways is, is much easier to be effective with. Um, mm-hmm. So so a lot of my thinking has been around like that. If I have to hedge against a matchup, that's the matchup I'm more inclined to try and hedge against because I just expect to see it more. But I think one of the things I, I really have enjoyed about this format, how well balanced it is, is that when you get into that top eight situation, that top 16 situation, um, you've got a really reasonable chance of not seeing any particular deck because it's just a sliver, you know, numbers-wise, just a sliver of the metagame. Um, but yeah, it's absolutely, you know, I, I mentioned this in chat, uh, in a recent, you know, match against uh, Paul Masters, uh, it's like, oh, there's Zern Orb, there's Cop Red, uh, uh, there's Ivory Tower, boom, 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 boom. And it's like, and land attacks and rack and play. It's like, well, and this is game one, right? So, so that just, that feels largely uh, unwinnable. Um, right. And it sucks to say, like, my best strategy in this match is to dodge it, but I think it's also realistic to say that, that this is a deck that can clean up against a lot of other things. Um, uh, but, you know, none deck's going to be 100 against the field, and, and that's just a, a tough one to crack, and it's a balancing act of, you know, what can I do with the deck in terms of its composition that doesn't cost me anything meaningful against the other matchups that I'm, I'm not willing to lose? Yeah, that makes sense. And so... I was on that same path too. It's like, how much do you invest versus one matchup versus kind of like playing stasis and like, well, I'm just giving up the elves matchup. Oops. I hit it sucks. Um, but so we had that piece. And then the second part that we have to base our conversation on about red is the second foot that dropped. Thanks to, you know, the shrimp squad, shout out to Tom and Alvaro, Sven, all those guys, they decided to really, introduce us in a true form to um chris as you said turn two, play the combo turn it sideways this is of course phyrexian dreadnought now flint first brought that into it uh well not the first time but by winning with part of that strategy uh at LobsterCon. but the development of mono blue was this huge stepping stone from because dreadnought decks there was like blue red blue black sometimes blue white but mono blue simplified things in such a go ahead there were people playing blue green you know shout out to mike harris there were you know the people playing esper jared doucette and i were big on the esper train early on there's a ton of dreadnought decks decks that have been you know around pre-modern for at least as long as i've been around pre-modern uh i mean flint flint definitely you know dropped dropped a dreadnought on folks in the top eight and just crushed them with it but i mean i think the year that he did that we also saw you know blue white and blue black dreadnoughts uh out in force the the mono blue thing is i want to say fairly recent kind of within the last year that mono blue's really taken off <clears throat> but mono blue Mono blue has like this hidden weakness that not a lot of people talk about. And it's not a weakness against most decks. 
because they have all of the permission aspects there and all of the filtering and all of the card draw, but they don't have tutors. And against a red deck, not being able to tutor that up and drop it and make us answer the question is kind of a big deal. So I think I've been more successful against mono blue uh, or just dreadnought without tutors in general. You know, I just just got back from Misty, just did quite a bit of testing with Fran. Uh, shout out to Fran. Just the absolute best testing partner, period. Uh, you jam quick and uh, get some good uh, good ideas about what your deck is really doing. But the the list that I'm currently running fought back a deck without uh, tutors fairly fairly well. Uh, I th- I think dreadnought decks. If you want some edge against Sly, you got to play a a tutor or two in the sideboard to get it more consistently because if you give me a few turns without that i i'm i move the needle real fast i i mean oh i just want to say i you know again shout out to frank because he's he's super active on in the in the mos leagues as well um you know i think he's he's just an incredible part of the community and the way he sort of uh, you know is everywhere really um but i agree that that what gives sly I don't want to say like an edge, but but your sort of your window, right, is they just might not have it, right? Um, uh, now, whenever I get parapets like Dave Kaplan, he always ends up with his opening sevens. He's got you know two in his open seven, some islands, a couple of days in a foil. It just turns out that way. Um, you know, we've decided against Dave. I, I need to have at least three pieces of hate in hand, or it's not a capable <laughs> hand. I, I I I wake up in a sweat with images of like. <laughs> I see. I see a board save like island, 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 jackal pup, and it's just like okay. Well, I know how this game plays out. Um, but you're correct that that if they, there's no guarantee that they have it. Um, in in right. you know, uh, I I don't think they recorded the match, but uh, you know, Pablo uh, actually ran burn for the most recent uh, Moss League, and he two owed against uh, you white not, and it essentially came down to they just they didn't have it. Um, you know, yeah. I think one game they, they couldn't get it. Um, uh, and I think that that is an opening. I know even your know, friend has talked a lot about cutting, you know, he, he really wanted to kind of land tutor from the white, you know, from the, from the, from the, from the blue white builds, uh, which I think makes a lot of sense, uh, uh, against the field, right? I think he has a compelling argument, right. but I, I, but I agree with you that if they're going to like meddling, they just do anything of value, right? Nothing, very little of value against us. Um, yeah. So I think the the changes to the deck make it a stronger deck, perhaps against the fillers is a compelling case for that. Um, but without that tutor there, that that's leaving the that's leaving an opening for Sly, right? That 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 creates a window for us to get in there and steal wins um, when they just end up having to mold. You know, if they have to mold to find it, then they have less permission to protect it. Um, and if they keep a seven that doesn't have it, then we have time to operate, uh, especially with you know, maybe we'll talk later about it, you know, upping the number of you know one drop two ones. Uh, you know, let you get in there a little bit faster. Absolutely. And yeah. so it's really an interesting thing and something I was noticing. And uh, a shout out to Fran, a shout out to Rich. Uh, great. Everybody playing it. Like there's nobody in this community you can't talk to and kind of bounce mm-hmm. ideas off of. It's not like there's 
for the most part, super secret hidden tech that you can't give to anybody. Sure, there right. are things we want edges for. If it was right before Lobster Con, I would never ask you, Aaron or Chris, if you were going into something big, like, what's your tech for red versus these matchups? Let's just share it to the world because, you know, that's fair. But you noticed something. While these two decks, they do something very different from each other, both very powerful, both difficult to fight sometimes and feels unwinnable but also can slip up the more those two decks have had to adapt to the field adapting Mm -hmm. to them they have made themselves worse against sly which in theory is a great matchup for them they've had to adapt to now blue white is here these things are happening that their answers to what we are doing on sly has cut down do you guys get that general sense when you look at them Yeah, I I can weigh in on that if you don't want. Uh, if, oh yeah. If uh, I don't want to yeah, cut Chris off because I'm so curious to hear his thoughts on it. Uh, but absolutely, I think that's the benefit that you get from a healthy metagame, mm-hmm. uh, and that's exactly what we were talking about with our sideboard. You know, we've we've kind of had a a discourse on uh, Twitter, uh, Chris and I, about getting. Uh, getting value out of uh, cards that are better against multiple decks, Mm -hmm. uh, playing something like an overload over uh, Meltdown, for example. Meltdown's so much better against uh, a field full of Mox Diamonds, but it's really bad against Dreadnought Days. Mm -hmm. Uh, So playing things that are more versatile uh, versus uh, multiple decks... That's what we're seeing out of the Dreadnought sideboards as well. We're mm-hmm. seeing them have to play, you know, they have to have an answer for opposing meddling mages. So they have to have swords and the last breath, mm-hmm. you know. And those are fine against us, but it's not advancing their game plan like uh, an Enlightened Tutor would. And mm-hmm. to Fran's point, yeah, Enlightened Tutor's bad against a lot of stuff but it makes the deck more consistent against us mm-hmm. so they've got to be willing to give up some points here and there uh you know give them up sure in a in a matchup that they are advantaged because they are advantaged but without those tutors it moves more towards uh 65 35 or a 60 40 uh as opposed to like an absolute blowout like parfait might be with us Mm-hmm. I think the, yeah. Chris, what do you feel? I, I, I think I just generally kind of agree with that statement. I think one of the things that's fascinating for me as a mostly on, I, I, as an exclusively online player, you know, the vast majority of us get our cards through loan programs, right? Rather than buying these decks mm-hmm. outright. And one of the things that I think that does for the MTGO pre-modern meta is it can adapt very quickly because um, you're not mm-hmm. just locked into what you own. Or I guess what you're going to print out in proxy, right? Like you, you can change your deck within three seconds, um, and so uh, that self balancing happens very, very, very quickly. Um, and so people are able to find that obscure card or whatever it is that's going to help them get you know the edge of what was whatever the flavor of the week was last week. Um, but I do think it has an impact on sort of overall deck building that in some cases. Uh, gives us a, a small edge, right? That 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 you're seeing card shove inside boards. You're like, well, that doesn't do much against us, and, and that's good. That's wonderful. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm very happy for you. That's a good life decision that you're making there. Um, and by the way, Flame Blast, uh, Fire Blast. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. 
also, also mm-hmm. take 16 yeah. a year in step. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, but I mean, that's, that's the advantage of a healthy meta. You have to sideboard against decks that are never going to crack 10% of the meta. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have to be able to board against an entire field. Exactly. Some of which has your number. That is very true. So let's kind of jump into, let's start main deck slide. Now, when I came in, pre-modern seemed to be at a place where you could do some things that were maybe not optimal and get away with it. Now, I won with a deck with Gorilla Shaman in my main deck, partly because I thought it would blow up a Dreadnought, which it doesn't, people. Um, No. It does not. Blows up a Mox Good, hence its nickname. Uh, but I was playing things like Browbeats um, and things like that. Now, I will still advocate for a Browbeat, but do I realize it's not the most optimal in the most situations? Sure. I can. I am fully willing to admit that. Pre-modern has now been refining itself like a nicely cooked stew to a point where if you're trying to do well, you... It's hard to justify some of those decisions. I don't think I could justify running a browbeat in an event I'm really trying to win now. Um, and I think that's a good thing. I don't think it means it's less fun. Um, and I can still jam it in fun games, but it's refined itself. Uh, Chris, sure. you had made mention of the fact of we are now on upping our number of two X's or one drop two or one mana two drop or uh, two powers. Yeah. That is correct. Um, Jackalpuck for a long time was the standard, still is the standard. But as we've talked about before, Jackalpup can run into problems when there's a Dreadnought in play. <laughs> or <laughs> <laughs> um, anything. I actually, I actually did very recently get to block a Jackalpup with a Dreadnought, and it felt amazing. Take 12? Yeah, it was, it was uh, somebody that thought they were going to do combat tricks, <laughs> and uh, it the combat tricks didn't work out and I got to block a jackal pup <laughs> with a dreadnought choices were made. So folks yeah, it don't felt, bl- felt great for me. <laughs> yeah. Don't block. Don't use your jackal pups to block um, dreadnoughts, but yeah. there comes a point where having that extra jackal pup five and six is instrumental. Now I mm-hmm. have used uh, goblin cadets. I've used Mishra's factories to varying degrees of success, but I think the correct answer has to be, and has been proven to be through various testing of Flint made it prominent, but I know others have done it well. I'm sure Aaron, you've dabbled with it. Everyone's dabbled with it is goblin patrol. That is the, I think definitively has to be Jackal pup, you know, five through X. Are we probably in agreement on that at this point? Yeah, I I agree. I've tried, uh, cadets um but it, you, you're just giving up too much against too many matchups where it just has to sit there and really do nothing of value and especially if you're not running uh if you end up cutting the reckless abandons where you can't even get some value out of it that way um i've had i've enjoyed patrol uh the echo has been really meaningless uh in terms of costing me anything um so so i, I feel fairly confident that that's my uh, that's my five and six Sure. Yeah, yeah, running cadets into cycling a decree of justice for one and blocking a cadet mm-hmm. feels like the worst thing ever. It is. I've done that before. It's not fun. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah I, I think I think Chris and I are super in agreement on uh, patrol, and more so than ever. I so I I chat with Flint quite a bit online and 
we were working on what the heck am I going to play at Misty? And actually, Chris, you had posted something online that was a bobble, reckless, abandon, uh, burn list that I really liked. And Flint's list ended up being somewhere, you know, very, very close to that. Uh, but the more testing we did, the more I disliked reckless abandon. It just kept mm-hmm. getting stranded in my hand. It felt rough. But the absolute shining star of all that testing, patrol always felt great. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I I never liked the idea of having to invest that second mana into it uh, until I played it, and it, it never felt, you know, and whatever i've i've tested in preparation for one tournament with patrol mm-hmm. so i have not done as much testing as i have done with every other card in my list but it it never felt awful right i think that's true and um chris i'm sure let's talk about Molo yeah. in just a second but i ran flint's list that he won the monthly with in the um spring fling i had cadets instead of patrols and are there certain circumstances where it's better? Sure. But they're much more narrow. And time and again, and I think I said that plenty of times when I was talking about it, is patrol just feels better. Uh, mm. You know, paying one on your upkeep, it's like paying one for a shock or something. Like, who cares? You're, you're hitting them, and it stays around, that's it. Um, you can block a ravenous Bayloth. You can block a creature with it effectively and not take damage yeah. or give them a free creature. <laughs> um, so I think that is the right path. So I guess what is our right number of Jackal pup plus patrol? And then we're going to get to reckless abandon. Sure. So, so I want to make a case here because I'm trying to know why I've enjoyed having uh, patrol in the deck. So, much. so, so, you know, the list I put together, Aaron was, I think, you know, I was listening to, to Flint, you know, on the cast and, you know, there's a real compelling argument for, you know, how can we get rid of some of the clunk in the deck? And sometimes like if you get that opening hand with, you know, a vortex and two ball lightning, like that's a clunky hand and you're sending it back. And and for me, the problem is right. This is not a deck, at least in my experience that wants to mulligan heavily because you're so you're so resource constrained, right? Every card, you Absolutely. Need to, you know, I had a conversation uh, with someone, uh, you know, on Discord about, you know, the difference between, I, you know, 5-0 to League and then, you know, 2-3. The next one, I said the difference between the 2-3 and the 4-1 was one point of damage in two games, right? Um, right. And so every card has to do everything as much as it can, right? You need to get as much value. And you want to keep as many 7s as you can. And what patrol does i think what pups you know five and six does is it just creates far more keepable opening hands right because in mm-hmm. a vacuum i always want pup to be my lead right if i you know if i don't know what's going on, yeah that i want to go mountain pup mm-hmm. and this allows me to do that with significantly greater frequency right uh, or even lead you know pup turn one patrol turn two right um uh and you just start going uh in a way that some decks just cannot handle uh, and so anything that allows me to both get under more decks and allows me to keep more viable starting sevens, I think is really critical because going down to, you know, six or five can be a real killer with this deck. Uh, if you, if you end up drawing dead or you, you run out of steam too quickly. Yeah, absolutely. So every 
game that you win for the most part comes down to I spent the last card in my yes. hand and got there. And playing Jackalpup on turn one gives you all the mana available for an incinerate, a shock, it, whatever you want to play on turn two uh, to clear a blocker out of the way. So Pup gets in there for two. Now it's at least a shock, right? Pup mm -hmm. has become at least a shock. Pup is going to get in there again and again. You're getting all this extra value out of it. I think there's absolutely a an argument for playing uh, a patrol before a pup, uh, even if you want to drop the ball lightning on turn three, uh, if you're going to shock away a blocker and get in there with the patrol, play the ball lightning on turn three. Now that elf's deck is so far, or the goblin's deck is so far behind, you know, whatever it is, uh, where you're going to have to be able to turn turn the corner on them later in the game. You've now disrupted their first creature, and you've gotten in there for two. Now you get in there for eight. You're off to the races. Uh, you know, you can you can play out your pups next turn. Keep wiping the board. Uh, it's it's so 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 good. Mm -hmm. And I think. That's great. The versatility that it brings to the deck, uh, to yeah. and the and the consistency of having one two power on one that is consistently happening again. Yeah, uh, I think I think people really underestimate the card redundancy in Sly. Mm -hmm. Every every card that we have is essentially, you know, a, a shock or better. Shock and a half. Correct. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. You, you know. Tap a mana, take, you know, four plus damage, whatever it winds up being. Mm -hmm. uh, so you are getting redundancy out of all the cards in your deck. And that's that's the thing that makes it, you know, so resistant to mulliganing the first time. Every time you mulligan it feels terrible because you're giving away resources. Mm -hmm. But it mulligans so rarely because... If you get a hand that's a early pressure, a big finisher, you know, uh, I'm talking fire blast, ball lightning, depending on what you're up against or price of progress, uh, post board, you know, if you get that early pressure, something to keep the board clear so that you get repeated value off of something and a big finisher, you keep that hand and you only need one or two mana to make that happen typically. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of hands that are very good and most of your cards are the same. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about, uh, and you know, again, Chris and I have talked about the benefits of Bobble and what it makes the deck feel like. It makes uh, me swoon. It's, just... it, it's, it's smoother <laughs> because you're clearing out the cards that aren't redundant copies of other cards and you are drawing gas drawing more gas more often you're not having to play flame rift which is terrible you're not having to play volcanic hammer which is sorcery speed I, you know these these cards that yeah all right that can be the last three spots in the deck or whatever you're not having to play that extra mountain uh that doesn't do damage so the the benefit of bobble being more redundancy of what your cards actually do uh has been 
the reason that I think we're both playing it. I, you know, I've tried both, right? Um, I started on, I mean, I, yeah. my first, you know, if you, if you go back to my first time, you know, putting up any results with the deck, it was just copying your list, right? Because I know, you know, it's like, oh, this looks good. Okay. Sure. Uh, and I've seen, I've seen Mishra's Ball will do work in other, you know, in modern, right? So, so, so I'm like, okay, it, it, it does work. But you really, I, I think, you know, you can't understand what the card allows you to do. Um, it allows you to find cards from the sideboard faster. It's, it's marginal, right? We're talking about percentage yeah. points, but yeah, it, sure. it might, right, if you have a deck, right, that, that's already low on lands, that is running eight fetches plus bubbles, right? That can actually be a meaningful change in how quickly you access what you need. You get information on a blind open seven, um, and yeah. it just it smooths the process, right? You you just you don't find clunkers. You find what you need. Sure. Yeah, just just getting to those redundant good damage yeah. cards faster, and not having to play subpar cards. Uh, with some added benefits that I think, I think were not part of the uh, the decision making process originally, but really, really go to you know the value of the card. But again, for me, it's all the redundancy of the deck, and that's what the deck is so so good at. Mm -hmm. I think that's correct. And speaking on Bobble, as we move forward in the conversation, um. Chris, me and you haven't really talked as much, but Aaron and I at length have talked about things at various events. Yeah, I, your first words to me were "Bobble can die in a fire." It. I wish I still. <laughs> I wish I still a hundred percent felt that way. So here's the thing. That's nice to meet you too, Will. I know exactly. <laughs> um, here's what I'll say. I. I'm different when I think about decks and probably sometimes not in a good way. And I have to be forced. I'm, I'm this guy who has ideas and I need to try the idea to see why it's wrong before I accept it. And sure. I think I'm there with Bobble. I, I gained a well, lot of respect for it when I, when Rich convinced me to play it in stasis. Sure. Um, I, so, I don't. I don't mean for this to be the bobble show. By the way, no. I want. All. This that is what we want. That was not my intention. No, this is what we <laughs> want, though. Like, okay, Aaron, you said something very important to the meat of this podcast, and this is going to be a longer podcast. I should probably put a disclaimer at this point, but people think of burn players as I point the spell, I do twenty, yay, I win the deck. Go us. Oh no. People feel that way, and it's sure. not. It really, really yeah. isn't. I've tried uh, to have this talk with folks. It it doesn't go well, but you just point the spell at the face and then you win or lose. Well, no. Um, but Bobble, in the versions that I would like to play of Sly, what I've come to accept is it is probably right not to play the Bobbles in versions I like, but that's because I play less instant heavy Oh, right. Yeah, if you're not playing instance, yeah. don't play it. But I value instance mm -hmm. over everything. And I think I'm on board with that is what I'm trying to get to. Yeah. And, and this is where we're going to transition to Reckless Abandon, Volcanic Hammer, Browbeat, sure. even Meltdown. Well, and I've I've told you, I if Browbeat were an instant, mm -hmm. I would play it so fast. I think you can say that about any of them. Sorcery is almost the death knell to anything yeah. 
going into that's this why day. i'm not playing volcanic hammer currently mm-hmm. uh, i was playing at least one volcanic hammer previously uh that you know i've talked a lot about the flex spot in my list at this point the flex spot is very solidly uh goblin patrol yeah uh, in I the past it. it's been lava dart it's been uh final fortune it's been price of progress it's been a lot of different things uh at misty i was playing two goblin patrols uh it felt good all day it mm-hmm. felt good in testing the night before uh exactly uh but i think that sorcery speed doesn't do the deck any favors certainly not in the mirror where you have to be answering lethal damage with lethal damage sometimes uh instant speed lets you play a different game Mm -hmm. Uh, instant speed lets you play a control game that not a lot of people think about when they think about burn Mm -hmm. they're thinking about burn as a deck that's trying to go to the face early and often Chris, we we had a little uh, chat as we were yeah. getting going here, where I asked you how many times you had wo- how many times you had lost a mirror match. Yeah. Because I tell people, and it seems like a boast, and I don't mean it to sound like a boast at all. I don't lose the mirror match. Yeah, I I, mm-hmm. I so I want to draw a connection. Uh, to how I think about this. Uh, and why instants are so important. So if we go back, uh, you know, well, to one of your first episodes, you interviewed Cyberpunker, right? And mm-hmm. uh, who's amazing. He's a huge part of our online community. Like, he is probably mm-hmm. one of the most influential people uh, in terms of my experience with pre-modern. Uh, I had a chat with him uh, a couple weeks ago. I said, like, I picked up Burn. I said, I need to become as good with this deck as you are with Madness. Like, that's my aspiration. I want to be as good with this deck as you are with Madness. And he noted in that episode that what he saw as one of the strengths of Madness is that it allows you to play creatures at instant speed, which is a huge leg up on a lot of what a lot of decks can do. Now, mm-hmm. Sly cannot play creatures at instant speed, but we don't necessarily have to because so many of our creatures come down for it's one mana, right? Which means mm-hmm. you typically have mana to do things with. And if you commit to sorcery speed spells, then that limits your options, right? I want as much mm-hmm. possible mm-hmm. information. Before I yes. decide, right? So, for example, <laughs> mm-hmm. let's say I have Shock and I have Lightning Bolt in my hand. Well, am I playing Shock first because I want to bait something that's going to negate that that spell? Or am I playing Lightning Bolt because this is my window to get the three damage instead of the two, right? And having information and be able to do things on my opponent's end step allows me to play a better game. Now, you, know, you say, well, you've been having conversations with people yes. that this is not a dumb deck. I don't have those conversations. Let them think it's a dumb deck, right? Let them make real... <laughs> I'm not giving up that equity, right? If, if they if they expect the deck to play a certain way, so I had a matchup recently where my opponent boarded in Ivory Mask, right, which gives you shrouds. Like, oh like, man, fine. I love it. So they, they mask in price yeah, of progress. They, they mask in COP red, and it's like, okay, well, I've got flaring pain and price of progress, and that's fine. But also, this does yeah. nothing with the stuff on the ground, right? Um, Mm-hmm. Great, yeah. Or this is why we've talked a little bit about why I, I think warmth is kind of trash because a lot of times players play it poorly, right? They play it and they expect it to do the work, but they don't realize that if you can't stop the ground game, right, you cannot win that way, right? It has to be combined with other elements. Well, uh, yeah. So, right. yeah, yes. That, okay. So, there's there's sure. something I want to yeah. hit on later. Yeah. Please finish so, your, finish your so, thought, but, but I want to hit on that later. Just, 
all they're going to do is throw shocks at me, then warmth will negate the shocks. Yeah. Well, no, there's there's all these other factors, right? I can use my shock uh, to clear your blocker. Now you're going to net two from the shock, but you're going to lose six over time to the to to the pup that's going to keep going in there, yeah. right? Because you didn't think through all the ways this deck plays. Um, yes. And so my take is I've been trying to develop a philosophy of the deck is one. Every permit has to impact the board in some way, right? It has to, has to do something to the board. Mm -hmm. um, even bobble impacts the board, right? Like tapping a bobble to a tangle wire, right, is a way to impact the board, right? Or at least allows me to play the mm -hmm. board in different ways. Um, and I'm just not content. You know, one of the things that I didn't care for with Reckless Abandon is that in most games, like, Incinerate would have done just as good of a job. It would have allowed me to continue yeah. attack. Or there's just weird tension. Like, do I keep attacking? How long do I have to attack before I should sacrifice to Reckless Abandon? Yeah. Or you're left with its, you know, you know, if Reckless Abandon was instant speed, we have a very, very different conversation, right? Oh, God, yes. I'd, I'd, play, I'd play four yes, of I mean, all right? four all day. I'd try and put five in the deck. Three, to, talking three about? to four yeah, without that, 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 It wouldn't be a question, right? Um, but being able to have, you know, cheap creatures... That allows you to have mana to play with, so you can make decisions mm -hmm. about what you're doing. Is a really strong incentive to stay away from sorceries. And if you're already leaning heavily into instants versus sorceries, and Bobble now enables you to essentially play those in your you know your opponent's upkeep if you have to, right? If it, it, it there, there's it comes together very nicely, right? It synergizes very well. It, in a subtle way that I think, unless you really put in the reps it's hard to understand exactly. yes and, I, go ahead, i've heard people talk about it being a very simple deck uh you know i had a so back when jp came into the format and found the format and started making his uh uh i'm sorry not jp uh pj presley uh uh good uh good presenter good content creator but he made a he made a list or he made a, a, a video that was a deck tech on Sly mm -hmm. originally. And it was I think it was yeah. poor information originally. And credit to him, uh, PJ uh, absolutely when, when I reached out to him about, hey, you've got some things that I think are going to steer people the wrong way on this list, on, on this deck and how to play it, he amended the video and made a much more uh, accurate video on how the deck plays and the strengths of playing uh, at instant speed mm -hmm. uh, about playing... Uh, playing a deck that wasn't trying to go to the face with everything. I think that the first mistake people make with the deck is they're absolutely trying to go to the face. And you, you know, Flores wrote this fantastic article about uh, slow playing the beat down. Mm -hmm. And it's absolutely, I, I, I thanked him for it because it's what I've been trying to explain to people about how it plays. Mm -hmm. You are playing a tempo deck. Uh, now if everything in your hand affects the board or the other player, if you're playing versatile cards that clear blockers, mm -hmm. uh, es establish a better board state, uh, you can slow down decks like elves or goblins. Buy yourself a few extra turns. If you're two or three turns ahead on a deck like uh, elves or goblins or 
uh, mono black aggro or whatever you're playing against, you're winning that game. Uh, or even uh, especially in the mirror, if you are not devoting, if you're getting in there with uh, creatures, if you're getting a couple attacks out of a creature, you know, that's huge. Will, you talked in the last pod about you hydroblasted a Mog Fanatic. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to make you feel better right now. Yay! You were talking with Dimitri about that. That had to be your play, because that thing would have done five to you over the course of that game. Yes, it, it certainly would have actually killed me if it survived. So, right. yes. So, <laughs> so stopping repeated damage from a one-mana spell, essentially, if, if that one mana spell just did you five what a different would you not play four of that in every deck you ever played if you knew a one mana spell was going to deal you five exactly and people also don't think about like your jackal pups your patrols even your mog fanatics are just repeatable burn spells if you really they're just one mana at this point fire blasts you for no other cost and if you're just then spending like i'm a big fan of uh not firebolt um lava dart in the format but lava dart lava dart's huge shock even lava dart fire to to some extent there's a there's a i don't know if it's lava dart or price of progress but i think either one of those is the best card out of our sideboard uh i agree i i think that there's some decks where Lava Dart becomes this all-star card, uh, and there's some decks where Price of Progress just absolutely wins you a whole matchup. Exactly. Uh, and but Lava Dart is incredible. It's incredible in the mirror alone. Yeah. I, I will Lava Dart somebody at their instep and just let it sit yeah. in my graveyard. And just mm-hmm. It's this constant threat. You never get to play another creature. What exactly. What are you going to do? You're never going to untap with a active lava mancer. You're never going to ball lightning me. Yeah, exactly. And that's a thing too. Is like having the redundancy of burn spells, but a variety of damage of burn spells. You have yeah. one mana or one damage, two damage, three, four. You save. You know. You get to. You have to know how to prioritize. Like if I got. If I go yes. turn one bolt or turn one puppy turn two they go or their turn one they elf they do whatever i'm not i don't want a lightning bolt and elf i'm on a lavender i'll shock it and then you're getting that equity of getting in there for same value of damage while holding those bolts and those fire blasts for your ending salvo i've i've seen people point or like i've seen people like not shock a mishra's factory when it's trying to block just to tap it oh so are you kidding me i so you know, we've again, you, the two of you, and I have talked about stuff like this previously. Uh, prioritizing spells and getting the most out of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will, you know, depending on what I think is more important, I'm going to either incinerate a Mishra's factory or I'm going to shock a Mishra's factory that's attacking me. I'll take that off the table so that later on your only chance to beat me uh, is to cycle a decree, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. How much mana do you want to tap for it? Let's, exactly. let's, let's talk how much instant speed stuff I've been stacking in my hand. Another uh, argument for the instant speed stuff, by the way. Exactly. Right, yeah, 100%. It's, it, but I will try to control the board 
uh, devote as little to stopping your board state as possible and craft a perfect hand uh, mm-hmm. to alpha strike you in response to something. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I think it's been a huge part of my learning curve with the with the deck um, in a couple of ways, right? So, like, again, I did not have any meaningful experience playing burn decks. Uh, I guess, I, no, that's not entirely true. I you know, hit Mythic in Arena with Mile Red back in, like, Eldraine Standard, right? Um, but But thinking about every spell should be able to do multiple things. And if you play too quickly, right, and don't really consider all the options of all the things it can do, then you're going to give up, you know, percentage points. And I can definitely, if I look at my performance over the last couple of seasons, you know, uh, the first season I tried the deck in the Moss Leagues versus the the more recent ones, there's a definite difference in my win rate. I ascribe a lot of that to, to really two things, right? One was thinking more carefully about how do I control the board. Again, the, the slow playing, the beatdown, and the three gears of modern burn, um, Huge, yeah. huge, huge pieces. Um, I mean, those, it was like just expediting my process of figuring out this deck, right? Um, but the other piece, too, is you know, to talk about the Mog Fanatic play. Um, I think players need to do their, <laughs> I'm a professor by trade, you, and I tell my students, right, you're not the first person who's come up with the idea of X, Y, or Z when you're writing a paper. You have to do your, your research, right? You have to see what else someone else had to say about this. Like, go read Philosophy of Fire, right? Go Google that. Right. Go think about the way that yeah. every card is worth a certain. You know, how many cards do I need to win this game? So I'm not going to draw more than, than than I'm going to naturally draw, barring a bobble or two. Right. Um, so so yeah. I if you're going to let me get my fanatic in for for a couple of hits, then you're in a lot of trouble. I, I had a recent game against Francisco uh, on Goblins in a playoff match. It's actually he put up on YouTube. Uh, after the match, he talked about my decision to leave Patrol in the deck for games two and three. And my thinking was, if the patrols come down and I keep your board clear for a couple of turns, that could be the difference, right? That That's going to, mm-hmm. if you mm-hmm. don't draw a ringleader, right? Because that's where you, I feel like I lose that match, right? Is if you get a, a really good ringleader draw, um, mm-hmm. I feel confident I can keep your board clear enough to let these two ones do their work and then finish out the game when it's time to finish yeah. out the game. Uh, you know, whether you got pyrokinesis or not, like, uh, I'm, it's fine. Spend it on them, right? That that yeah. leaves me with other stuff later. Um, so so uh, I do think people misjudge the deck, and, and I think that there's a really big difference between um, being able to play the deck effectively and being able to play the deck really well. Um, and I think that yeah. it requires a real mindset shift in how you approach it uh, in order to really get... I, I, so one thing I really appreciate, Aaron, was you saying, uh, I find myself ending the game with no cards left, right? Or maybe like one card left. Yes. And at first I was like, oh, man, I'm, I'm used to playing like Golgari and EDH where like you're supposed to finish the game with like 40 cards left in your hand. Like this is a real, <laughs> what, what, how I only have one card left? But then I'm like, no, that means I play it right, right? I got every last drop. Yeah. I, I, I did not require any more spells than I needed to to end this game, right? I used exact. You extracted yeah, all the value. And when I started thinking, I was like, oh, yeah, that's the way you need to think about this deck, right? You are going to end... Uh, with almost nothing left in your hand, so you need to get every drop out, and that means you have to really weigh: um, is it better to clear the path for this uh, in this matchup? Can I clear up a reasonable path, or is that not going to happen? So I need to hold this for later, right? Like you're playing Madness, and they've got Mongol down on turn two. You have to think differently about what you can clear and, and the value of that shock in your hand. Yeah, exactly. and I think that leads me. And Aaron, if you want to finish that thought in just a second, but I think. 
one thing I want to talk about is ball lightning. Sure. All right. Again, more discussions. I once made the statement that browbeat is better than ball lightning. I'm pretty sure I made that to you, Aaron. And probably not true, but I don't think the number of ball lightnings is four anymore. I think it's debatable. Sure. Let, I don't let's talk. Think, I don't think four is wrong. I also okay. say I did, sure. I did not play four in my most recent tournament, but I don't think four is wrong. My reason, I think, go ahead. What's I think your reasoning just, why four is uh, just, not wrong? Just like the way that I've said people can play bobble or not play bobble if they want. I've noticed mm-hmm. what it does for the deck for me. Bobble is my play. Uh, mm-hmm. Four ball lightning, I get. Four ball lightning just flat out wins the game against elves. Like... Four ball lightning, when you get to go over the top and they have to look at blocking a ball lightning and how many creatures they have to stick in front of a ball lightning mm-hmm. so that they don't die to the fire blast if you have it is sure. awesome. It, you know, they don't have any way to interact with it unless they pull the Masticor uh, out and have the mana to invest. Sure. Uh, and chances are that, you know, that information is available to you. That's a deck that doesn't get to play at instant speed, right? So you sure. get to you get to have all the information that we talked about. Uh, so ball lightning in so many situations is right. The number of ball lightnings that you play, just like the number of the rest of the cards in the deck, I think is dependent on how many you want to draw, how many you can afford to mm-hmm. draw. If I could afford to draw two ball lightnings in a lot of case, I think the number is still four. I got stuck at a point uh, in LobsterCon 2022 where I had three ball lightnings in my hand and my opponent knew that I had two of them and he had a cabal therapy in his graveyard. You want to guess how fast I was trying to get ball lightnings to the board <laughs> when he knew I had two of them mm-hmm. uh, against a black discard deck? Uh, you don't want three in your hand in basically any situation Mm -hmm. two at most. So if I want to draw two at most, the number that I want to play is three. Yeah. So I think that's why you play three currently, but if you want to ensure that you're going Mm -hmm. to draw one, Mm -hmm. the number's four. So if you're playing in a meta where you're going to go up against goblins, elves, creature-based decks, or fast combo decks that don't have removal, mm-hmm. then the number's four. Okay. But if you're going to play in a meta that has a high number of swords, uh, hydroblasts, uh, mm-hmm. things that deal one damage at instant speed, then you drop it to three, and potentially you drop it down as low as two. So what I'll say is I I think the right number is two. I think initially I was on zero, but as I play more, and now this is maybe a product of where I play a lot of times in which blue is a dominant spell or a color. It's everywhere. It's It's everywhere everywhere where you play. So it's just not three band investment into something that may just not even resolve feels bad. So that kind of educates my choice a little bit. I'm, the, I'm curious what Chris has to say because you get to play in a very different meta than that's even true. Will or I are used to playing uh, on uh, online so often. Yeah. What is yeah? What so do you for think? me, so I think you both kind of 
are where I'm at in a sense, right? So, so I agree with Aaron, right? That when I went down to two and I faced elves, it felt bad, right? Because like all I want right now are as many of these as I can draw in a sequence to 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 close out this game. Because you're on a clock, right? Eventually they get their pieces down, yeah. and, and sometimes you don't have the pieces you need to disrupt them, and, and you just need to finish the game. But when you're up against, you know thesis or land still or whatever um you have to think about mana equity right and, and and a three for one mana trade is not what you want to be doing in these matchups right because now you you've basically soaked up all your your available mana and now you can't make decisions on the next on their turn right, right. so and when we come back to the conversation about like trying to avoid mulliganing right an opener with two depending on what else you have, can be a little bit questionable, right? Because it might be that you're, you're a yep. little bit mm-hmm. slow out the gate, and that, that can't happen either. In terms of the meta, I think the MTGO meta is really, really diverse, probably because you've got a mix of new players who are sort of just playing around with the format, um, but also because people can change their decks very... There are some people who play the same thing all the time, right? Uh, we got a couple of, you know, you know, Ollie's playing... If you see him, he's playing Elves, for the most part. Though he ran Zombies one league, um, which I was surprised, you know, caught by surprise by. Um, but on the whole, right, our meta is really diverse. We have a really, really wide mix. So for three, you know, three of me makes a lot of sense because it helps hedge between uh, I'm losing too many battles over this card versus I don't have the firepower to close out these games. You know, again, particularly against, you know, goblins and elves, uh, where you will send, you know, I, I want to draw two of them by the time that game is over, if I can. Um, yeah. And so I feel like in balancing out the deck, uh, I knew that I wasn't going to stick with two long term. It was an experiment, uh, but I feel very hmm. comfortable with three as a as a hedge to to sort of as we sort of talked about earlier. Be aware that the meta can be diverse and that you have to be flexible in what you're doing. Exactly. Yeah. And when I when I have called, uh, you know, we earlier called uh, Gobba Patrol pups. Uh, five and six, but I've called them a ball lightning yes. on installments, and I yeah. absolutely mean it. I'm getting <laughs> okay. I, I'm keeping that around because I'm yeah. getting six damage out of it. That was very much. I like. I like that. I, I was thinking about that very much the same way because it, it. You know, I saw it as okay. I'm cutting these two ball lightnings for the patrols, but if the patrol gets in on turn one, when there wouldn't have been a pup in hand, and it gets in for you know four, six, whatever, then that's a fair trade. But that's a I get both. Yeah. Or I could I could go back up to three and, yeah. and, and really have the, the best of all worlds possibly. Uh, and that feels like yeah. a, a reasonable concession to make. Yeah, three three to me feels like the right number currently, uh, from what I keep playing against. Man, I, I can see three. I'm at two right now. So the biggest constraint, one last point on ball lightning, um before we kind of jump into the next one is I'm actually a huge fan of some combination of Mishra's factories and wastelands in Sly. While they limit the explosiveness a little bit, I have found that they've added new dimensions. A lot of decks are not prepared for. Um, And I'll stand by that to a certain degree, but ball lighting. And then that choice as well. Like they don't coincide. Well, you can't do both. Right. Um, So that's also how I've, approached it the one question i'll ask do you ever think if we're talking numbers is there ever a world where it's like two main deck and a ball lightning in the side is that ever a world we consider 
Sure. Chris, why don't you take that one? I'm trying to think that yeah, one through in my head. Um, I mean, I I think that there are... I think everything has to be on the table, right? Like, you have to... One of the, one of the best sure. pieces yeah. of, I think, deck-building advice I think I ever read, and I wish I remembered which you know writer put it, was you're not building a 60-card deck. You're building a 75-card deck that you can play any 60 mm-hmm. of at a given time, right? And so I can imagine... I can certainly yes. imagine a scenario, right, where you might say, look... I expect that the meta at this event is going to skew in a certain direction, but I want to have this one on the board yeah. as a hedge. Um, I don't think it's something that, given the context in which I play, uh, I don't think I would do. But I can see, mm-hmm. I would never say, no, You that's objectively wrong. Like I can envision scenarios where that might be a really smart play to make. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. I... I th- I think you just kind of said what I was trying to think through, actually. Uh, I think it totally depends on your meta. There's a thousand different correct ways to build this deck, mm-hmm. uh, depending on what you think you're going to see. I I love uh, Wasteland. I've been on record uh, saying, you will never catch me without four Wastelands if I'm playing a deck that can support colorless mana sources. Right. I love Wasteland as format. I love Wasteland in an aggro deck in this format. Mm-hmm. Just, I kind of treat it like a time walk. I, mm-hmm. I've i got, uh, okay, I've got my early pressure. I Wasteland your thing. I hold up mana. I've got removal in hand. I'm playing to game plan, playing this uh, kind of tempo game plan, right? Mm-hmm. But I would never treat Wasteland like a mana source uh, in the list that I've currently got. That makes uh, sense. I need too much red mana. I need too many mountains. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if if you want to treat Wasteland like a spell that puts mm-hmm. you ahead a whole turn, which is super valid. That's, that's what the card does. It puts mm-hmm. you ahead by a turn. Uh, you know, I, I'm all for it, but I don't think that the list that I have that does not have browbeats in it, does not have uh, other cards that benefit from colorless mana in it, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think I could ever treat it as a mana source for me. I think I think I can agree with that, and I can see that line. And then speaking of numbers, coming back to some some more meat that in evolutions is... Back in the day, it would not be uncommon to see a lot of Cursed Scrolls, mm-hmm. a lot of Sulfuric Vortexes in main decks of Sly. Those numbers have been, in my mind, decreasing extraordinarily over time. What are your guys' thoughts on the place for Sulfuric Vortex and Cursed Scroll currently? I don't want more than, uh, I, I don't want more than three Vortex total in the deck between main and board. Um, I don't want more than two main deck. And the reason for that is I, so my greatest pet peeve as a magic player, regardless of format is losing to my own deck and losing to my own mana. It is. It truly is. My, you know, my, my, uh, my each player was like, why do you spend all your money? Like you've got, you know, $60 worth of cards in your deck, but all the fetches and, 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 and duels and what, you know, rabbit duels. Because I want to hit my colors, right? I want to hit my. I, I will not lose to my own deck. I'll play extra lands. I will not lose to my own deck. And sure. uh, you know, if you draw that 
it happens every now and then. You draw that you only get two in the deck and you draw both those vortex in your opening hands. Like this is not a keepable hand. It's just it's too it's too slow. It's too slow. Right. Um, but there are matches where you want it and it provides some inevitability and and it and I would be hesitant to, to ditch it entirely. And with Curse yep. Scrolls, it, mm-hmm. to me, it's sort of the same thing. I wouldn't cut it because I've had too many ma- I think this is where people misunderstand. This deck can play a longer game. It can. Uh, if you play mm-hmm. it smart, it can play a longer oh, yeah. game. And, and again, um, it's not a two of like, oh, you get too many two ofs. It's not a two of. It's Lava Mancer 5 and 6. Now, it's it's yep. worse Lava Mancer 5 and 6, but it's Lava Mancer 5 and 6, right? Against, mm-hmm. against that, that, you know, Black Aggro deck or whatever, right? That allows you to basically stop the game. Uh, or I had a matchup yep. against, uh, you know, Zombie Madness Infestation. Infestation, they did not draw, uh, and, I, you, you know, I, I couldn't quite stabilize, but we were at a spot where if I had, you know, if I had been on the play, that I would have been in a situation where my Cursed Scroll was going to negate their Squee plus whatever they drew every turn for their Zombie Tokens, right? Um, and there's another... Yep, right. The other card, that give, again, because we, we use every card that we have, um, cards that you can get that repeated damage out of, repeated board control out of, are, are really critical. But again, much like Vortex, I never want to see two of these in my opening hand. Almost never want to see two of these in my opening hand because the second one's right. not, you're never going to have mana to implement that second one. Um, in fact, you're yes. just casting the second one to get it out of your hand so you can more uh, effectively call the card that you're going to hit with the first one. Um, and that's just a feel bad, right? Like I have to dish this card so I can change my, oh, my, yeah. my you know, from 100%, you know, from 50 50 to 100. Um, so I mm-hmm. think that they still have a role. I don't think that they're outdated. I think that they 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 have won me enough matches. Uh, I think for me the bigger question is like, is it worth it if your meta calls for it to have that extra vortex in the board? Um, I haven't been doing that, but it's it's certainly something that people do. Um, I'm certainly I'm I'm not doing it right now with the extra vortex in the board uh, because you know calling back to our previous discussion about uh the card redundancy i want the cards in my hand i draw it it does you know 2.5 or 3.5 points of damage or Mm -hmm. whatever it winds up being uh i want the card to do that i don't want to get these more clunky hands i don't want to draw the second curse scroll most Mm -hmm. games I don't want to draw a second. I certainly not in an opening hand. I'm probably going to mull a hand that has two vortexes. Right. De- depending I, on what I'm playing against, there's a huge chance I'm going to mull a hand that has two vortexes. And you, a, you just right. need more out of it. You you have to have more value out of the number of cards you draw. You don't want to draw a second one. I think that's true. And, and one of the ways I approach it, so I think I'm on like one, maybe two cursed main, and I don't even know if I'm over one sulfuric vortex right now. I, I mean, I'm I'm typically two and two main, and as much as one more vortex in the board. Yeah. and some De- of it Depending is... on what I'm thinking for any particular, whatever I think, and, you know, I without patting myself on the back, I feel like I'm fairly good at predicting what I'm going to see mm-hmm. at the meta for a particular tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I have been off of the third vortex in the board for a little while now. Yeah. And one of the ways I approach it as well is Aaron's kind of piggybacks off of uh, something you had said 
I can't remember who you'd said it to is at one point you had said Sly is a great deck to top eight with, but sometimes just not to win a top eight with. You said something along those lines. Yeah. Um, and I kind of take that philosophy of heart too, as well as like, I think I'm a good enough red player in most circumstances where I hedge my boarding thoughts to what do I think this top eight is going to be Yeah. versus a field. And that's where I fall off because if I go into a top eight, like Misty, Misty had a dreadnought blue, white control, uh, two, two variations of tax rack parfait and whatever is in those matchups. A lot of times, maybe not so much blue, white control, but like, you don't want to lay the amount of land it takes to activate a curse scroll. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, curse and scrolls like, come out so often in stuff yeah. like that. Even when it seems uh, like it should be good, you know, you expect parfait decks to play cop red, right? Exactly. Obviously. But I also don't want to play three mana so that I've got a live curse scroll because I'm going to get right. You know, land taxed backwards and forwards. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to get enough value out of it to make up for the amount of card advantage that they just got. So I'm yeah. going to board those out. I'm going to board out the vortex because I cannot possibly give my opponent a clock when they have a cop red. Mm-hmm. Uh, so vortex has to come out. You you cannot give a control deck a clock. You know you cannot give a prison deck a clock in a game that's going to come down to you crafting a hand and alpha striking them at instant speed. Mm-hmm. So Vortex comes out, uh, Curse Scroll comes out, uh, and you have to have cards that are going to destroy artifacts. You mm-hmm. have to have cards that are going to be more damage on the table. You know, Against combo decks, you're going to have to have cards that will let you take another turn, or cards that will mm-hmm. disrupt a combo, or cards that will punish their brittle mana base or whatever it is, you have to have cards that close that gap and don't cost you three mana before they're ever worthwhile. Right. So the the two and two and the ability to board them out for something more impactful feels really good. Yeah. And I can see that. The map is kind of nice in that way, right? Like you, 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 you I I think those are probably the two cards that come out most often in my matches. Um, Yeah. And I would probably say I, I would cut a vortex from the main deck before I cut the scroll, but I think that having two is 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 fine um, because again, you don't know what you're going mm-hmm. up against. The 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 meta is right. this isn't you know this isn't standard where you might have something that's twenty five percent of the meta, right? Um, so so, so mm-hmm. you don't you need a little bit of that versatility there, but um, yeah, they they come they're there to come out sometimes, and that's fine. They make space for for stuff that's going to actually get the job done. And you're right, you cannot leave three mana up, or you can't be tapping out three mana, uh, or giving you know land tax that time and, and those resources, and expect it to be worth it in the in the long run. Yeah. So we we've covered the main deck pretty well. Innovations. Our biggest takeaways between the three of us is instant speed is king. Yeah. Um, because of the versatility it gives you, redundancy is king. Um, and pre-modern has in and of itself uh, refined itself to the point where you can't... It's hard to be clunky if you're trying to get ahead and truly do well in an sure. event. So I think that's where we are main deck. So let's talk sideboard, which is where the versatility of... And some of the struggles that Sly has comes into it. Because as a monocolor deck... We are probably one of the worst colors 
it's either us or black as far as versatility of the things we can fight um in the color in my opinion and i'm going to start with the probably the biggest one you guys were having a conversation i've piped in a little bit but um our feelings on reb and pyroblasts sure. take the stage I'll, I'll gentlemen start, yeah <laughs> sure so so i have typically had three or four of them in the board i can see an argument for removing them or lowering the count uh i'm a little bit uh, bitter at the moment because I recently lost uh, my first match ever against Stasis because they dropped Stasis and Chill and I couldn't find uh, a blast fast enough. Because <laughs> in that matchup, I actually don't care that much about Stasis. I care much more about being able to stop Chill. Yeah. That that's the that for me is the, the secret of that matchup. Yep. You just play slow and be very smart about how you use your mana. Uh, and I just I couldn't find. I wasn't willing to mulligan to, to five or four to find it, and and I didn't find it. Uh, and so, like, I'm a little bit, you know, still a little bit uh, gun-shy about cutting them entirely. But I do think there are lots of matches where you don't need them or, or they're not going to, to do enough, right? My initial thinking was, well, you know, sniping a factor fiction it, it is, is a real feel-bad for them, right? So, you know, we talk about that, that mana equity, right? Um, but there are other ways to win that game. Um, that's not That doesn't have to be the way yeah. you end up winning that game long-term, I think. I, I So, like, for the next couple of... Uh, leaves them running. I'm going to try cutting it and see where where it lands me. But I definitely would not say it's an essential. Sure. Like I would cut the blast before I cut my. You're not touching my lava darts. Like like those are, those aren't. Right, not, yeah. <laughs> I've seen people. You know. You, you know. I I like price of progress um, because when it, I like oh, cards yeah. on my sideboard that things where I've sort of landed. I want them when they are good. I want them to be really really good. Right. And when you bring yeah. a lava dart again, you know, you put. You know, I, I typically have been running one main. Now it's going to be out of the main ball four on the board. You bring this in against elves. Um, and that's a real bad... It, not that they can't win through, but it's a bad day. Um, I, they get they do work against goblins. That you might, you know, they, they're, they crush the mirror. Um, they just they can do yeah. a lot of things. Uh, when Price of Progress is yes. good... It, Price of Progress is never good. It's always great. Because, you know, if it's only good, you're not bringing it in. But if you're up against a, a yep. match where you're like, well, you've got, you know, 60 plus percent of your mana base is non-basic. And some of that's fetch, you know, some of the, I'm throwing, fetch is in the basic category. I'm not even worried about those because I'm not going to hit those. Then, yeah, I'm bringing this in right. because if I can get even four damage off of this thing. Um, but, mm -hmm. Yeah, just thinking about how good, like, decks that you don't even think of, you know, I had a chat with uh, Charles at uh, uh, Misty. Decks that you don't think of it being particularly good against, you know, I brought it in. I brought in three of them against yeah. his Goblin stack, mm -hmm. and he's like, "I didn't think about how good that card was here." I'm like, it's mm -hmm. great here. Are you kidding? You played, uh, you know, you played Wasteland plus uh, Port plus Carplus uh, yeah. and Forests uh, plus either a City of you know people are playing a City of Brass or they're playing a Mossfire Valley. And they're a tap out deck. They're tapping out every turn, so I know that they're not going to yeah. wasteland their own port because yeah. they just played a ringleader. Yeah, whatever. Take six. I love it. Mm. You know, against uh, you know, so many of the decks that Reb is good against. Price of progress is 
Yeah. Way better. I, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't. I don't want to reb a factor fiction. I want to get all the damage I can to right. your face uh, while you're while you've got four tapped. So I think that the reason that I have been lower on uh, rebs recently is because I want things that go to game plan. Mm-hmm. I. I had been playing him against primarily dreadnoughts, yeah. right? You know, I had been I had been trying to okay, we're we're gonna go back and forth. I'm going to hold up red mana. You're gonna have to play around the reb, but now they do. Now they're playing around the reb. They're respecting that red mana that I'm holding up. They're gonna respect that red mana whether I've got reb in hand or not. You, know, you mm-hmm. have if I've got it just held up, and then whatever, I shock yeah. you at the end of turn. Uh, what else was I going to do against, you know, against your deck with a shock? So now you've had to play around it, it and yeah, it's, surprise, surprise. I either had it or I didn't. I now I've got a bunch of things in hand that I can play on my turn. I can play on your turn that are going to either a deal you additional damage or b deal you additional damage or destroy an artifact or C just destroy an artifact. I, I will play things that hedge against more of the field. Uh, I'm playing extra artifact hate right now. I have ditched the ditched the rebs. Now, if I see chills start to pop up more, if I see stasis start to make a resurgence, if I'm seeing that, that's an adjustment that you make to the metagame. Your, I, my sideboard is always changing. My sideboard has never stayed the same from one tournament to the next. Uh, right now, I think that the Rebs can come out safely. You get to put things in that go to game plan or hedge your bets against more decks. Mm-hmm. So against against land still, now you get to play Price of Progress. You get to play Flaring Pain. I'm seeing more Cop Reds than ever before. You know, coming into LobsterCon, I predicted that blue-white was going to be the deck to beat. So for the first time ever, I put flaring pains in my sideboard. I think that cop red is easier to play around than people think. I've seen people scoop to a cop red, and I shake my head. I just don't understand, you know, how people consider that card to be a win-con. So, so I, haven't uh... felt, I haven't felt like I had to keep... Uh, flaring pain around until again, until you want to hedge your bets on something that's uh, a bigger part of the meta. So let's actually dive into that because that's a really great thing that comes up a lot. And this important thing is cop red. We know it's a powerful card, but it's not unbeatable. And I too have seen people scoop to a cop red. Yeah. Why don't we do this? This is we are trying with this cast to let people know how you can play this deck in optimal ways in some way and, and get to problems that you think there are that have solutions. So between you, Chris, and you, Aaron, how do we... Pl- let's take Flaring Plane out of the equation. Sure. That's, that's a card that lets us get around it easier, and I think is a good include, but how do you beat Cop Red in positions that are not impossible. I'm not yeah. talking about like a cop red with like 5 million mana from Urzatron yeah, yeah. or something like well, that. Chris, can I take yeah. this one yeah, to start off? Okay, so this one I was just, I 
I've been coaching people on how to do this for a, a little while now. Uh, coming up to LobsterCon, again, my team was on the blue-white train. Pretty much everybody agreed that blue-white was going to be the deck to beat. So I tested a ton of uh, Landstill versus Burn. We did this, I don't know, we played a mountain of matches and I lost a game. A game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we identified very quickly game one almost always goes to the red deck. Uh, you know, you haven't built your deck to beat the red deck yet. You need the sideboard. They sideboard in cop red. And too often I see people think that from that position, they've got that cop red is their win con. And I've told people you need a second thing to tutor for. Now, your thing to tutor for could be warmth, could be chill, could be uh, uh, ivory mask, could be arcane lab, could be anything. But the cop red on its own is not good enough. Because what you're going to want, you still want to use your mana. Uh, and I'm just thinking, for this portion, I'm just going to talk about blue-white, because this is the one we see most often. Early tutor for a cop red have more mana than you, I win, right? Okay, what are you going to do to beat me? Uh, You still have to win this. You've drawn more cards. Uh, You're going to want to attack with those lands, right? Well, if you attack with the lands, I can remove them. I've got a handful of instants, and I've got all the turns in the world to craft a perfect hand. I've got a deck full of instants. Now, I... Do you want to factor fiction from here? Because if you factor fiction, I, in response, take X damage, whatever I can deal you. In response to the cop red, empty my hand. Uh, in response to a warmth, empty my hand, right? Uh, de- deal you whatever I can. Get you as low as I can. Get you to a point where I can play a barbarian ring and win with it. Uh, so... I told Dimitri, actually, I was watching him play this. Uh, We're sitting, and he actually touched on this on your last episode. I'm watching him play against Blue-White. And he's at a point where he's aiming incinerates at the player. And I kind of clue him in. Like, after it's done, I, I wait until it's all over. And I say, hey, remember the Flores article, Who's the Beatdown? When he plays that cop red, you are the control. You are controlling the board state here. Uh, You have to put him in a position where he has to cycle a big decree. And he's going to cycle a big decree, and he's going to probably leave up two mana, three mana tops. Uh, because he's got to finally put some pressure on you, because you've still got stuff on the board. You've still been playing pups. You've still been playing patrols, mog fanatics. Uh, you know, these things are getting in there every turn, and he's having to pay one for all of it. So, at the end of your turn, he's already tapped stuff to stop your creatures, or he's wrath, or he's done something where he thinks he's in a position to cycle that decree and you have had time to craft a perfect hand. All right. I tap all my mana, shock you, you know, bolt you fire blast you, you know, 
what, how, how much can you answer with your three versus how much have I already gotten through earlier in the game? Cause you've probably dealt more than 10 damage early in the game. Mm-hmm. And then, all right, it comes back to me. You've still got a cop red and now barbarian ring gets you right. Like if, if you don't get through, you've put him in a point where you can deal two damage to get through. Now, I, I played Flaring Pain in my sideboard at LobsterCon because I expected to see people... I expected to see blue-white all day. I saw one. I saw, <laughs> I saw one blue-white all of LobsterCon, and it was actually my playtest partner. And we just kind of looked at each other like, we know what's happening. It's uh, me and my good friend Jared uh, sat down across the table from each other, and he had just gotten done playing this matchup a ton prior to... And sure enough, it played out exactly like we were used to, you know, all right, early tutor, cop bread, get it on the table, hope to turn the corner and control. And I just have all the time in the world to craft that perfect hand. You know, I've sideboarded out ball lightnings because they're never going to get through uh, hydroblast and swords and cop red and everything else. Like I'm never going to do damage with a ball lightning, but having a handful of instants seems way better right there. Mm-hmm. So, Here's here's a handful of instants. I'll wait. I'll wait for the time where I actually have to do something about it, and I'll dump it all on the table. Gotcha. But flaring pain makes that even worse. <laughs> yeah, especially flaring pain also helps you get around things like uh, ivory mask. Helps you get around things like solitary confinement if you combine it with a price of progress. Because don't forget, you still can't target them. Uh, you know. It answers a lot of questions that people have asked the red deck, but I don't think that it's anything new that we weren't already doing. This is the game plan we already knew for Cop Red. You really, and I told everybody this going in, you need a second thing to tutor for. You need another problematic enchantment that I suddenly can't deal with. If you combine a Cop Red with a Warmth, Oh God! Now I'm now I'm hosed. If you combine a cop mm-hmm. red with a chill, a com- cop red with a, a solitary confinement with some counterspell backup, if you combine a cop red with an oh God an arcane lab, I'm done. I mm-hmm. I've got nothing else. Yeah, but cop red that, on its own is not good enough. And that's the same thing I also hear. And Chris oh. will just, just jump to the second is. One card usually isn't the answer to red in the vast majority of cases where a lot of people think I've also heard the arguments between cop red and the, the ravenous Bayloth arguments. Well, I got ravenous Bayloth in the rock yeah. matchup. I can't lose. Well, Do you know how many times I've killed somebody through like three ravenous yeah. Bayloths? Well, people, people ask the question, what do you do against cop red? And the answer is you kill them. Yeah. And, and nobody, nobody seems to accept that as a potential answer. Like it automatically wins the game. You, they still want to do something with their mana. Mm-hmm. They still need to do something with their mana sooner yeah. or later. Yeah, Chris, what are your kind of thoughts yeah. on cop red play? I know you have some thoughts about sure. warmth well, I, as I, well. I think that there are a couple of things here that I think are, are intriguing to me. Um, so I agree. Uh, cop red by itself is not something to scoop to. There's only one context in which I scoop to cop red. And it's, it's really a function of MTGO having a clock uh, and making and making the calculation <laughs> Sometimes I know I can win the game, but it might, if, I, if I happen to lose game one, right? And it looks like I can win game two, but it's not going to leave me enough time to win game three. 
uh, you, you have to think, or let's say I win game one, but game two is running like super, super long, and it's iffy whether or not I'm going to get there. Um, you may scoop to that because you just have to be aware of your your time, or like maybe the kid needed, you know woke up in the middle of the night and you had to burn ten minutes off your clock because you're talking yeah. back in, right? So you have to you have to make some decisions there. But generally, it's it's insufficient by itself, and it's just a waiting. It's, it's patience, right? And people don't think about burn as a patient deck, mm-hmm. but it can be a very patient deck. It has to be. Um, very much. Same so. thing with with warmth. I, so I think it's not just that you need two things. They have to be two different things, right? It can't be two of the same thing, right? Like if I can beat yes. you through a warm, mm-hmm. uh, and again, this isn't like trying to brag or, or, or whatever, but like I haven't lost to warm. Um, I haven't lost to two warm, right? If that's all you have and you can't play around everything that's all going on on the ground, then if I have enough time, I'm going to beat you. Um, but again, if you have warm, then chill. Um, or if you have cop and yeah. chill, and I don't have an answer, then yeah. So, so I think you have, but I think too many people assume, like you said, one answer is enough, right? You can't, one answer is not, is, is insufficient against a capable player who is willing to take the time to really think through at what mm-hmm. point am I transitioning from the mid game to the end game, and what is that end game going to look like? Because as you as you said, at some point they have to tap their stuff, right? They, you know, they're, they're not going to deck you mm-hmm. out. Yeah. Right, um, so so they have to make some sort of play, and and you have time, especially if you're targeting their their creature lands, um, and, and you're just buying yourself additional mm-hmm. time and cutting their you know cutting out their mana from under them, you know, even if it's incrementally. Yeah. Right, and that's a big thing people don't do specifically um, in the blue white matchup is you lose that matchup by not killing creature lands a lot of the times. Oh yeah. In my opinion. Um now there are moments where I discovered in my finals against David Daniel, shout out to you David Daniel, I'm going to get you back later, is sometimes you don't want to direct 5 million pieces of burn at their creature spells, but if you can direct an incinerate at them, yeah. And get that's it, the perfect place to spend an incinerate there. Exactly. It's those little edges that take away their mana, but not even the mana, it takes away the pressure so you can build um and it's very similar to people scooping to a stasis i've argued this a million times like you just because a stasis comes up on there doesn't mean that they have to you have to scoop like eventually they have to try and chain it sometimes they don't have forsaken city like what what pressure are they putting on you so i think people People think too often. Uh, this is the same problem we talked about, where people try to think of this as an aggressive deck that has mm-hmm. no range. You know, when people think about what they're trying to do with this deck, is they're trying to deal twenty to the face. People that don't think of this as a deck that can play a long game, uh, again, change change those gears, right? Uh, think about you know. Think about what's going to... This is a deck that rewards playing to your outs. So mm-hmm. thinking about, do I try to sneak in an incinerate here uh, and let them thwart, you know, thinking of stasis, do I let them thwart <laughs> it, put the islands back in their hands and put them ahead? Or do I hold it and try to nail them with everything at the end of a turn you know, do I craft a perfect hand that beats this deck? Do I try to stretch this game out and respond with a win? 
Mm-hmm. That's, I think, what people... People never think of this deck as a deck that grinds. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a deck that can grind. You know, everything um, that you have, you know, if you've crafted your deck correctly, everything that you have is versatile. Everything mm-hmm. destroys creatures. Everything destroys players. So be be thoughtful about where it's going, you know, truly, truly consider where you're investing your mana and your cards in hand and what cards you want in your hand and what cards. You I think don't. this is interesting in the context mm-hmm. of the flame rift discussion, right? Friends don't let friends play flame rift. If you go into yeah. oh, yeah. picking up the deck with the assumption that it has no long game, then flame rift makes more sense because yeah, it looks mm-hmm. it looks great on paper. If but that's like, your I've had plenty of games where I've won the match at two life, three life, one life, right? Against yeah. you, you, you know, there's nothing quite like winning oh, yeah. against one life against you know Landstill, right? It's like oh, they, haha, so you know you 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 spent that incredible amount of time and you still lost. Um, but if your game is going to go long, there's a chance where you are not a. It's not a flexible card to begin with for so many reasons. Um, yeah. But also, like you may be in a situation where you have a dead card in your hand. And as I mean, at least in my experience playing the deck, guys, the I, I versus many other like you have no you don't have a lot of ways to transfer dead cards into something useful, right? Um, and so and so yeah. you yeah. know, to me, it's critical to have the range on every single card because I recognize that not every game is going to be over by turn four or five, right? That it may go really long. And I need right. to make sure I'm getting everything I can have every single piece of cardboard or digital cardboard yep exactly it's the and same the same way that i feel about people that uh try to play pyrostatic pillar in the uh uh in the mirror because they see a board state where they're ahead and they try to pyrostatic pillar to lock it out but they've now tapped mana to do it and you get to answer and suddenly the board state shifts completely mm-hmm. and now you have a card that is not moving the needle. You know, you mm-hmm. have a card that isn't impacting, you know, you're, you want me to take, uh, you want me to take 20, you want you to take less than 20. And now I get to focus on dealing you, you know, you play that. I play out all the instants in my hands and, uh, we're left at a point where you have a jackal pup uh it gets incinerated and you take three from a bolt uh and now anytime we play anything it's you know it's bad for both of us i feel the same way about flame rift you have to be able to move that needle uh you're suddenly you're doing it at sorcery speed it's become a card that was worse than a dead card I say I say that friends don't let friends play flame rift because you're playing a card at sorcery speed that's detrimental that doesn't impact the board state you can't do anything with it you know you can't stop uh, an opposing ball lightning for example with mm-hmm. it shock is a better card for me uh, I mean I, I don't understand playing flame rift when you have uh, volcanic hammer available to you even now no no burn deck is playing four volcanic hammers 
why are you going anywhere near flame rift? Why would, you know, even if you don't value instant speed as highly as me, here's a card that does one less damage, can target a creature. Uh, it's just a way more versatile card with no downside aside from the sorcery speed that's still on flame rift. I, mm-hmm. I, I will never understand the decks that play flame rift. I will always say that there are better options. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that peop- I think if you want an instant uh, credibility check for any list, as soon as you see a flame rift in it, that's somebody that doesn't actually understand what the deck is trying to do. I can see that argument. So when we're thinking sideboard, uh, red has some versatile options, and we've seen a few. Uh, I'm going to name off a couple. Um, Goblin Vandal, in some cases, has been used in a great card. Um, yeah, I just got done using you know, that one at Misty. Mm-hmm. Uh, overload, crash, things like that. Meltdowns. We have yep. tools to fight, but our most important tools right now, and we've mentioned them a couple times on this cast, uh, price of progress and lava dart are probably the most important tools Red has in its sideboard for matchups. Kind of talk me through or talk the listeners through what, if it's not clearly obvious, what, let's start price of progress. What makes it so powerful? And a couple of times you've said, oh, we can beat solitary confinement with uh, price of progress. I remask with price of progress. People really discount that. Why, why don't, let's just talk price of progress for a little bit. Uh, I'll uh, give the floor to you. The card. It does a lot of damage. It does not target. People do not... Ex- I, I, my match with Fran in the last playoffs, I beat Goblins with Price of Progress because I uh, did 6, 8, whatever. It didn't matter um, because I needed to close it out, and that was a way to do it because I knew he was running ports. I knew he was running Mossfire, and he was running a bunch of stuff that was not going to help him in the end uh, You know, if I happen to draw this out, right? Because you're, you're, you're trying to think about what does this game uh, look like. Um it just does a lot of work, and I think again, this is a, this is knowing your history and doing your homework, right? You need if this is the only card I'm bringing in that can't impact the board because I know that when it goes off, it's it's reducing the number of cards I need to draw to win this game significantly. Um, yeah. Most of our spell, you know, this isn't like modern burn where where three is the default for to the face, right? It's not. It's not, and, and I think in fact. <laughs> Yeah, I, and in fact, I, I think play? that that would hurt a mm-hmm. player who's used to playing Modern Burn coming over here because, like, your math is off and you may be over, overvalued going to the face because you've got cards that just operate in that mode. Um, but yeah. Price of Progress is going to get is going to shave a card off of what you need to play to win this game. And there are just certain situations that you're not winning without that card. Uh, and it's just it's better against more decks than you would think. Um, because, again, if yeah. your average card is doing... If your average to-the-face spell is doing 2.5 or change damage, right... Uh, maybe three damage. This is being that rate, right? This is this is this is you're you're oh, yeah. probably getting minimum mm-hmm. four. You might get as many as eight or ten. Um. Uh, and, and that just changes the nature of the game. Like if you get off, it just changes the fundamental nature of the game. Uh, it makes people play around it later. Like I've seen people you know, talk post match. Like I didn't know if I should yeah. play my port because it was going to do much against you, and uh, you know. I've had people wasteland yeah. their own. Love it lands because yes. of the threat of me potentially yes. having it in my hand 
Uh, also, you can't discount the fact that it's instant speed. Again, we've talked at length about the importance of instant speed and what this deck gets to do from instant speed. And also the decks that it's good against. Historically, you know, before the Parfait deck came on to the scene, before Rich really popularized, and you know, credit to, to Paul Master and all of his contributions, and credit to Mark Eric Vogt and all of his uh, contributions and all of the things that people have done with it. But Rich really popularized that deck. He wanted an Oath deck that was good against Burn. And he made an Oath deck that is real bad against Burn. Uh, but before that, uh, it was fast. The thing that we were the worst against was fast combo decks. What does pretty much every fast combo deck in this format have going for it? Terrible, oh. terrible mana bases. Yeah, really trash. Uh, people are fully willing to play multiple ancient tombs, City of Brass, Gemstone Mine. They're just loading up on all of these, you know, Shivan Reefs to make Devourer work. So you, look at Devourer. You know, that's not even a deck that has to run specifically on non-basics, right? Yeah. That's not like it's it's not some hermit deck where it, everything has to actually be a non-basic. This is just a deck that needs non-basics to run. Uh, this is, you know, I'm going to first turn play a City of Brass, second turn play an Ancient Tomb, tap my, you know, take three, you know, rip repeatedly deal myself damage all right well at the end of your turn take four and at the start of my next turn take six right like uh whatever it's going to be you know let me just get in even if you just even if you just get four damage for two mana and you're that far ahead in damage already because they're dealing themselves damage they get to a point in the game where they can't tap any of their mana sources Mm -hmm. You know, you get, you get decks like Feb, you get decks like, uh, gosh, Hermit Feb. Ooh, you know, these are, these are decks that are, everything that they play is a potential two to four damage. Mm -hmm. And you just have to feel really good. You know, I can, I can race you because of this card. You're faster than me. You can turn three combo me. You can turn, potentially turn two combo me with no interaction. But you better, you better, you know, hold something up for this two mana instant at all times. You have to play around it and be aware that it exists. Because at any point, I could drop that, or I could drop a final fortune, <laughs> and suddenly, you know, you don't get another turn. Mm -hmm. Exactly, and we also see sort of a. It's hard to compare the two because. The damage they do is not the same, but Lava Dart in certain matchups, just such a backbreaking card. Why don't yeah. you guys talk about that? Well, it's sort of like the uh, the exact opposite of uh, Price of Progress in a way. It's a card that isn't a big finisher. It doesn't win anything entirely on its own because it dealt you 10 damage or 8 damage or 4 damage or whatever it winds up being. It wins because it disrupted you for two turns. Uh, you know, it, the reason I started playing it was when elves started being everywhere. And I would sideboard out three baubles and bring in three darts. 
And with elves, again, we talked about that switching the gear, the three gears of modern burn. You know, you are just, you know, super relevant in pre-modern. Elves are always going to take over the board. They're always going to win to mid to late game. They are going to get card advantage that you're not going to get. But if I can hold them off, if I can disrupt that first turn, if I can stop that Lanor elf on first turn so that they can't tap mm-hmm. Cradle for two next turn, so that they can't play the priest, do the thing, get the survival on board with mana up, uh, get the anger in the graveyard, start doing their thing to take over, I'm a turn, two turns ahead. And I'm a fast enough deck where I can get advantage out of those three turns. Now, knowing when to turn the corner and go to the face, because you're going to have to, because again, they're going to take it over. Uh, Knowing when to turn the corner, massive. And again, in the... uh, in the mirror, you know, knowing that you are not trying to go to the face early and often, you're trying to control the board, get your chip damage in, get your repeated value off of whatever you can, and then close it out with a big finisher. Lava darts, again, huge. I'm willing to spend it uh, and still have it sitting there for an emergency in the yard. Or, you know, come down to that last point of damage and, oh, look, I've still got a mountain in play. I've still got a dart in the graveyard. There's that last one instant speed in response to your lethal damage. It's it's exactly the opposite angle from Price of Progress for me. It's a control card. I love the card. Chris, what are your uh, thoughts? I feel around Pyrokinesis early on, but I don't think you can compare the two. Um Sorry, one, one second on the pyrokinesis. I, I have to say, and I'm going to jump out. Pyrokinesis yep. is a trap card in this yep. deck. Mm-hmm. Please, 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 yep. do not play this it card. Me, it took in me your a little time to figure that out, um, but it, it, it functions very well in other decks. Uh, but but this is not the deck where you want to be playing because you don't want to give up that second card, right? That second card could probably do something. Uh, and lava dart, um, yeah. it's just like a Swiss Army knife. It does lots of things, uh, and, and yeah. People forget about it, right? They, they, yeah. I've had people lose because they just forget they're in the yard, which boggles my. Again, this is this is an MTGO kind of thing, but like, you don't even have to ask your opponent to see their graveyard. You you just click a button and you like I I, <laughs> no, I, I usually play my games on like a 15 inch laptop screen. It's it's not very big, but I make sure I, I it's worth the screen real estate to have their graveyard open regardless of the match at all times. Cause I want all the information. Yeah. If I'm playing a survival player. I've got the revealed cards open all the time, so I don't lose track of anything, right? <laughs> but I've won games because someone didn't, you know, is at five. They let the bolt go through, and they forget that there's two darts in the yard, right? They're, they're just not, or they let the blocker go through, and yeah. they don't realize, like, lethal's in my yard right now, and I have more than happy to get rid of these mountains. Uh, they're, they're, not do, they're, they're not doing anything right now. <laughs> um, and, and, and I agree, right? You, you know, elves, you have to be careful because at a certain point, you do have to turn the corner, and, and that that's require some finesse but i've also won more elves games than i probably should have because again you you dart the elf on turn one and they've kept a hand that has cradle and is contingent on being able to tap for you know two or three on turn two and they can't now the elf is gone so they can't tap that they've only got one forest in play the cradle is doing nothing uh priest is sitting in the hand and and maybe they just draw dead right they don't 
they they just don't get that yeah. second land or another one. Mm-hmm. That, and the one elf is going to help them because it's not going to get priest out, right? They're going to tap out to cast the elf. You're going to get rid of it with dart again, and they're going to be stuck in the same position. Um, so so that I think post board in many matches is a four of with with without exception. Um, it just it does work. Yeah. Sometimes I'll bring you know in some controlling matchups I'm like you know what they got to stop it twice. Um, you know what? Yep. I, I'm not. Mm-hmm. It, sometimes exactly. you know, I've got stuff that I don't want in the deck. Sometimes it's got to come in. This might be it, right? Worst case, it's just more spells that do things. Yeah, it's, it's something that I have put in against uh, two decks that we've already talked about. I put yep. it in against yep. Stasis uh, because you know that's that's damage from an unta- from a tapped land. I put mm-hmm. it in against Parfait uh, because yeah, I'll, I'll play my second land tap them both and then sack one of them uh Mm -hmm. i'll i'll get value out of less lands on board i mean it man it's just good if way too many places Mm -hmm. all right guys so we are approaching the two hour mark and i'm loving this so here's here's what we're doing typically i end these episodes with a most overrated underrated um deck uh card that needs to be broken but i think for this episode i'm gonna do something different because i have two great minds in the room i'm gonna run through a series of matches i'm just gonna name a match uh i'll alternate between the two of you and you give me general plan general sideboarding love it okay because i think when people watch this episode they care more about this part than what card do we want to break yeah i love this yeah Okay, so Aaron, first up, goblins. Goblins, uh, price of San, pro- sands, sands ancient tomb because we just love that card. Okay, so price of progress uh, indefinitely because they're probably playing red green. They've got the Carpusen Forest. They've got some amount of wastelands and or ports. Uh, they probably got a Mossfire Valley or a city. So price of progress is going in. And then something that's less impactful against them. Uh, uh, Vortex is coming out, uh, and maybe a bobble for me is coming out. Gotcha. How do you prioritize your burn? We burn a lackey, obviously. Uh, what are, what else yeah. are we spending burn on? Uh, I will spend burn on the war chief primarily, uh, lackey. Uh, uh, depending on where we're at, the the siege gang, uh, depending on what their mana is at, where where the board state's at. Obviously, the uh, pile drivers never get to deal me damage. Uh, but more than anything, I just want to uh, like I'll spend mana on or I'll spend burn on killing anything that's going to block a jackal pup or block a patrol. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, Chris, you're up. Um, parfait. Uh, yeah. Not sand black parfait, sure, rich, sure. I, rich I shea parfait. I have sand black uh, uh, version. Um, I'm taking out everything, you know, uh, Vortex is out, Ball Lightning is out. Um, I want my mana as low to the ground as possible. Darts are coming in, and, uh, you know, I'm bringing in whatever kind of artifact package I have. Um, yeah. So typically, I have not played around with Vandal yet. That's something I'm going to be be fiddling with. I know I have a, if I can get past Elves in the first round, I have Palm Master on Parfait in round two, because uh, he's got a buy. Um, 
uh, I, I don't want to be like super hateful and pre-boarding like a bunch of shamans because I don't think I'm going to see see uh, not in this in this event. But but um, you know it's it's right now I've been favoring Crash um, because it's cheaper potentially, but I'm not sold that it's always going to be better than overload but it's going to be the the expensive stuff and then maybe even shaving potentially incinerates to try and just stay at one mat as much as i can um yeah i just keep it to as many it's honestly what i do with stasis too is just get rid of it anything that's more than you know one mat where i can um to make sure i get the most out of what i'm doing uh game plan game plan wise is hope to dodge it uh. first and if you can't do that if you can't if you can't you know, well so here's the thing but dark dark's really important here too because sometimes you're going to need that to turn off oath um yep. yeah you, 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 you just have to there's just so many things you have to play around there that you want as much flexibility as you can to to to, to get through the match pups out oh, or pups God. in um so, so I, I have <laughs> typically pulled pups out because I can't guarantee that I can ditch them, and I don't want to get stuck with them. If, it, if you think they're not going to be on the oath plan, though, yes, I would yeah, if yes, if they're, the, yeah, I agree with that. Yes, if they're not on oath, then yes, they stay in. But the the matches I tend to play, I tend to be oath focused, yep. um, and so. Agreed. I can sometimes justify keeping in patrol if I'm on the because if I if they're on the play and I drop a turn one and they drop both turn two I cannot pay the echo if I have to 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 let it go but it's you know it's a dicey proposition I prefer things that I can guarantee I can get rid of if I have to. Gotcha. Yeah. All right, Aaron. Sure. Mirror match. Oh, mirror match, easy. Pups out. Uh, Darts, both. Yeah. Uh, uh, darts in. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah. I think that's that's the main one. Also, if I want to take vortex out, currently I have the uh, uh, vandals. Yeah, the vandals which come in. Uh, it's an easy two for two swap for me. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. All right, Chris. Um, stasis. Okay, stasis. so um, stasis. No, that's okay because I, I actually I like playing stasis. <laughs> I don't know. I've, I, I, I'm like excellent one against stasis. Um, I put anything that's more than one oh, yeah. mana uh, and brand uh, yep. darts and some combination of artifact hate because typically their win condition is black vice. And so, it, you know, it, it's yep. if you can thread the needle. Uh, now, look, if they drop two or three of them, you're, you're not in a great spot, but. Uh, you play. You have to play super patiently. You have to take your time. You have to pick your spots, and you have to get every damage out of every mana that you spend. Um, like one of my least favorite creatures in that matchup. I forget ball lightning. You can't afford to be tapping out three. Um, but like even lava master is real yeah. iffy because you, it's a two mana investment if you want two damage, right? You can get one. You know, or you know, it's one mana for one. Mm -hmm. um, not great. Uh, it's pretty inefficient. Um, so you just have to get your land count as low as possible. And while I'm, I'm always hesitant to use my darts flashback because I'd rather be sacrificing to fire blast. Right? You only have so many mountains that you that you can sacrifice. Mm -hmm. um, right. If it comes down to it, right, and, and and we're now up against the gun, then yes, then that that then it's good to have that option. Yeah, hundred gotcha. percent. 
uh, Aaron, uh, Dreadnought variants. Uh, dr- yeah, uh, that's that's just a matter of uh, so you sub out the less impactful stuff. You l- sub out the scrolls and the vortexes uh, and potentially the shocks, uh, depending shocks or bog fanatics, depending on if they have uh, meddling mage. Uh, they're probably sideboarding out meddling mage against you. Uh, because it's never going to survive. But you just... Uh, currently, I'm just putting in Artifact Hate, Artifact Hate, Artifact Hate, also currently playing a Final Fortune. Just as one other thing that costs two mana that they have to answer uh, that you know they can't misdirect, uh, that probably, from a lot of different positions, wins you the game. Okay. Uh, Chris, uh, the I'm rock. bringing every price of progress that I have. Uh, yeah. And, um, you know, I, that's a matchup where, like, I might. So, previously, I'd like, I cut my one main deck, Lava Dart, for that. Uh, it's not doing necessarily enough, especially as more builds move off of birds. Um, it, it doesn't do much. Um, I will sometimes cut the pups because, especially if I'm on the draw uh because i've run into too many you know drop the pup and now you've got a wall of roots or wall of blossoms and it's not going to be uh impactful enough um but typically i'm just bringing in you know the 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 price of progresses and cutting some of the you know the less effective creatures and you know hoping just to play smart and catch them with bad timing on their their bail offs and uh you know i i really do enjoy there's nothing more fun than than casting lethal in response to that bail off trigger uh because i didn't yeah. do their math right mm-hmm. um but th- that's kind of where i've been at okay. and i always want more pops uh than uh than i have in my hand yep gotcha all right Aaron, you get the last one enchantress uh enchantress is enchantress is probably the deck that i am least prepared for that's the deck that i've sort of decided uh, and you said I wasn't going to give you a hard one. <laughs> yeah, there we go. So, well, I, I didn't mean that it was uh, like a hard, hard matchup specifically with the other ones that he had to answer because we're so far ahead on stasis uh, in mm-hmm. general. I just meant that it was like it's it wasn't straightforward sideboarding. Uh, right, I get you. So this one, you know, this one is one where they have a lot of stuff that we can't interact with. I, if they do a warship and uh, an enchantress, that's basically over. So the the little known fact about warship uh, is it's a replacement effect. It's not preventing damage. It is replacing. Uh, so that is not you know preventing all the damage that puts you at less than one. It's making it deal, you know, it's making making it reduce your life to one instead. So, flaring pain is useless. Uh, this is this is the deck that begs anarchy. Uh, so, when I have told people in the past that flaring pain is better, flaring pain answers more things. Flaring pain stops, it shores up matches that uh, 
Anarchy does not because you're not likely to resolve an anarchy. You're never going to resolve an anarchy against blue white in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. You are going to resolve an anarchy against Enchantress. If you have an anarchy in your hand, if you have four mana up, if they haven't gone full Enchantress and done all the nonsense, anarchy wrecks their board state. So if you have anarchy, here's the time where it shines. But I'm not, <clears throat> pardon me, I'm not willing to invest in anarchy until I see 5% or more of the field playing Enchantress. And if I go to LobsterCon and two people are playing it i'm not worried about it until i get matched up against it with my good friend uh michael and he uh he he destroys me with it and i feel bad for the rest of lobster con <laughs> shout out shout out to michael phillips uh you know it Wah. you just have to you just have to tell yourself it's going to happen uh if you if you catch it you catch it uh i, I don't think yeah. there's a great answer there yeah that's that's, I think, the best way to put it. Um, but I'm, I'm not one... willing to play cards that are worse against oh, the rest of no. the field. Absolutely. All right, guys. So we have gone over the two-hour mark. Um, I think there's been plenty of nuggets and great information dropped here. Before we kind of sign off for the day, let people know one brief statement. What do you want people to know about Sly? and coming into playing Sly in this format. Sure. Chris, why don't you uh, I start? I think it is a deck that really rewards you for thinking carefully. Um, I think you the first thing you have to get out of your head is that this is an easy deck to play. Like, it's easy in the sense of you can maybe beat some bad players with it if you just kind of go straight to the face, but you're not going to see real gains unless you think really, really carefully. So, so this is not, you know, this is... I think there is a learning curve to the deck. It's not an obvious learning curve. It's really subtle. Um, but putting in the time and energy into it is going to fundamentally change your success rate with the deck. Um, and there's a lot, and there's no excuse yeah. not to, to to dig into what's out there. So there's a lot of great content, whether that's you know anything that Flores has done recently or more historical pieces on just the archetype. Um, you know, it's out there and you can find it and you can really expedite the process of, of understanding the philosophy what the deck is trying to accomplish. Gotcha. Aaron, what are your thoughts? Uh, continue. If you, if you're interested in the deck, uh, exactly what Chris just said. Uh, also continue to value instant speed over everything. Uh, the reason that I have been able to play bobble at all is because of instant speed and mm-hmm. in i even before bobble i valued instant speed over almost any other effect on most cards because of the versatility uh of instant speed and what it lets you do what it lets you answer and how much information you get before having to make a decision uh, if you know this format, you can absolutely abuse instant speed because you can you can predict the likelihood of them having whatever answer. You can think about the card pool. You can think about what they're likely to have, how many cards are in their hand, what's on the board, what's in their graveyard, and make so many decisions that are so much more well-informed 
when you have a handful of instants as opposed to everything else, please uh, don't play Flame Rift. Uh, do, you know, play Lava Dirt before you play Flame Rift and watch, uh, watch your abilities to, to adjust your game plan mid-game uh, increase you know, tenfold. Absolutely. All right, guys. Uh, wonderful thoughts. Guys, thank you so much for your input, your knowledge. You've definitely been on more red than me lately. A lot of my red ideas are theory crafting. Thank you for bringing that real world from online and real events to it. Um, guys, if you need anything uh, at all about red, uh, guys, shout out Twitter handles or whatever socials because I know you guys both enjoy the conversations. Mm-hmm. So um, shout those out now if you got them. Uh, Aaron, anything you want to say as far as Twitter handle? Uh, yeah, I'm caffeinated22 on Twitter. Uh, feel free. My name's Aaron Dix. I go by my real name on Facebook. If you have any questions, I'm I'm an open book on this. I We joked at the start of this that you know we're going to give people the secrets of how to beat this deck, but... I, I am an open book. I love having these conversations. I love the discussions. Chris and I have had quite a few discussions on this deck already. Just you know, in the short time that you know we've been interacting on Twitter, I really appreciate his mindset. Uh, and we, uh, he's he's another great resource. But yeah, Aaron Dix on Facebook, uh, caffeinated twenty two on uh, Twitter. I'm also on the pre modern Discord. Uh, feel free to tag me in a question or send me a message. Uh, I will always talk your ear off about this deck or any other pre-modern decks. So on Twitter, Chris, how about I yourself? am uh, iron underscore lungs MTG. Uh, on Facebook, I'm Christy Biasi. I just go by my regular name there. Um, I'm also on the Discord as Iron Lungs. Um, and uh, the only thing I'll shout out here is if you're interested in getting you know more involved with the, the online side of things, you can also check out... Uh, at MOSMTG, where we post events. Um, I'm going to be playing a more active role and kind of helping to answer questions about how to get involved with the online leagues as well. So if you've got questions about the deck uh, or questions about how to get started with you know, MTGO, whether it's just how you set the client to how you get involved with the leagues, uh, I'm happy to, to operate as a liaison in that regard. All right, guys. Um, again, I hope everyone enjoyed this uh symposium on the burning questions of sly um i have been william hurst uh joined by two amazing guests we're gonna let you go for the evening take care everybody enjoy times we got events coming up um i think there's a number of national championships coming up euros is creeping its way on up yeah um online monthlies all all of this stuff so Guys, enjoy pre-modern. The format's the best. Thank you to everyone who listens, and we will talk to you guys very soon. Take care, everybody. Take care. See you, everybody.